It's so good to see you. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I've got a question for you. Uh, have you ever felt like your life is out of control? What do you do when you feel like your life is out of control? I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But first, I just want to say I'm so glad that we get to worship together today. It is so fun. It seems like every single week there are more people here than last week. Balcony friends, your group is getting bigger and bigger every single Are those not the best seats in the house? Just watch, next week everybody's going to be sitting up there and I'm going to be an empty group down here, but you know, we'll be preaching to the angels up top. That was weird, so I'm not going to do that again. But anyway, <laughs> it's just so wonderful. Um, and, and I want to thank you too. We, we've been calling on you because more and more people have been showing up. There are more and more things to do and, and more and more bases to cover. Uh, so we've been asking you, you know, will you serve? Will you volunteer? And hope you've answered the call. I'm so thankful for you. Um, we've got so many new volunteers every single week, especially this last week. Can we give God praise for those volunteers? Woo! You're amazing! Thank you. And if you're wondering, oh, is he pressuring me if I haven't signed up yet? Yes, I am. So, no, I, I'm not. But if, there, if, uh, if there's a great way to get connected in the church, it's by serving alongside of people. So I, I encourage you to, to take that dive, too. Uh, those of you who are volunteering serving, is it worth it? Yeah, okay, cool. You guys are, you didn't want to like reveal yourselves, you know, so, so glad that you're here. Um, let's get back to that opening clip. What do you do when your life feels like it's out of control? Life does feel like it's out of control, and sometimes lately it feels like it is incredibly out of control. In the Bible, out of control situations show up. The Bible's littered with this stuff. Uh, here's one of my favorites. This is from the book of Psalms, and it says this Save me, O God, for the flood waters are up to my neck. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I, I don't have any footing. 
I'm out of control. I cannot control my body. When was the last time that you were out of control? Whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, what is it? When was the last time that you felt like you were out of control? Sometimes we go through life and we feel really confident, feel like everything's fine, and that's when sometimes it sneaks up on us. When I was going into either 7th or 8th grade, I was a Power Life student at Hope in West Des Moines. Power Life is our uh, program, our confirmation program for our middle school students. It is super fun, so if you know a middle school student, tell them about it. Uh, but we were at Valley Fair Amusement Park in the Twin Cities going into either 7th or 8th grade. It was kind of like a summer trip that we did. And uh, there was this one ride where you get really, really wet. It was, I think it's just literally called The Wave. And you sit on this like log uh, splash type ride. And, and we had this one volunteer who was with us that day who was like overly prepared on everything. And she was ready to go on this ride. And, and so before we all went, she said, all right, everyone, I, I prepared. I've got you ready. I've got ponchos for everyone. She actually had like these little disposable ponchos for everyone. Now, 13-year-old Danny was not about to put on one of these. Not, no way, are you kidding me? I've got people to impress. So I didn't wear one, and I happened to sit in a seat on this wave ride where I really didn't get that wet, and so I was feeling just fine. If you've been to Valley Fair, you know that if you get off of that ride, you can then cross a bridge, and you stand where the wave is supposed to then hit you when the next set of riders come on down. And I'm like, well, I didn't get wet at all. I mean, I might as well get a little sprinkle, right? Uh, keep in mind, when I was about 13 years old, I was about four foot two and uh, three pounds. So <laughs> I was not very sustainable against waves, if you will. And, and rather than like me describe what it looked like, I found actually some footage of what this, this is actual footage of what this ride looks like from the bridge that I was standing on. <laughs> That's scary if you were just watching it. I came off of my feet. I thought it would have been embarrassing to wear the poncho. I was entirely out of control of my body. I was terrified, I was scared, it was not fun. What do you do? How do you stay calm? How do you have peace? In the book of Philippians it says that God wants to give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, how do you have peace when you feel like you're out of control? I mean, my goodness. There are times in my life where I feel out of control and it's a lot more serious than getting hit by an amusement park wave. I remember when I was also around the middle school age, I was dealing with some pretty intense anxiety and fears. I was talking to my parents about it. My mom, I can still remember, I can still see it standing in the kitchen with her and I'm just welling up with tears, trying not to cry. I'm so anxious and I'm so scared. I'm so afraid of life in general. I couldn't even name it. I felt out of control. And she pulled out a Bible and she read this verse to me, Exodus 14, 14. It says, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And there's a lot of peace in that verse. There's a lot of comfort in that verse. I feel nice when I read that verse. And that's good. And you should hold on to that when you read the scriptures. And then there's also something kind of crazy about that verse too, isn't it? There's that word, he's going to fight for you. Well, that means that there's a fight to be fought. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, that's kind of scary. Like, why do I need God? Be, because I, I can't go into these fights of life where I feel out of control by myself. And in fact, in the verse just after this, the context is God is talking to Moses and saying, Moses, you are be, uh, Moses is leading God's people out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's uh, control, out of captivity, out of slavery. And God says, don't worry, just stay calm. I'll fight for you. 
But then the Egyptians are chasing them down. They're coming up. They're getting closer. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Like, it's scary still. God fights for us. We can stay calm. We can have peace. But it doesn't mean that the situations are always easy. It's all over the Bible. Out-of-control situations. They show up. Now, particularly, we see these scenes in the Bible when there's water. In that scene in Exodus, there, there's water. Moses and God's people, they're standing before the Red Sea, and they're trying to escape Egypt. They're trying to escape hundreds of years of slavery. And as they're standing there at the Red Sea, they can't go any farther. Pharaoh's army is coming up behind him, behind God's people, ready to take them back. And here's this giant sea. They can't go anywhere. Now, in ancient Jewish culture, the sea was the greatest symbol of chaos and destruction and death. Like, there are people who are afraid of water today. I was afraid of water that day at Valley Fair. No doubt about it. But we have a privilege today, right? Like, if we go to the pool, we can look underwater with water goggles. Like, philosophobia, the fear of water, was a really big deal back then because you had no idea what existed under that sea. Like, that little, little Mermaid song, under the sea, under... It's like, no, I don't want to know! Scary, terrifying stuff. And so when God's people are facing the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is coming up behind them, they're stuck between death and death. And interestingly, the Red Sea seems like the worst option. But through Moses' hand, God parts the Red Sea. Over this sign of chaos and destruction and death, God has power over it. And so the ancient Jews, what they would, they would think about, they would, they would meditate on, they would think about these stories, they would sing these songs, they would pray these prayers that show up in the Bible. And the book of Psalm, it reflects over what God did for the Jewish people. It says, he commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel, God's people, across the sea as if it were a desert. In Psalm 29, it says, the voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. Back in those ancient days, whether it was in the Jewish culture or not, the, the agreed-upon understanding of what makes someone God, the test for God was, do they have control over something as crazy and powerful and seemingly out of control as the sea, as the storms, as the chaos? So the ancient Jewish people, they would sing these songs, they would hear these stories, they would pray these prayers, and they would say, well, that must be God. Because in order to have control and power over something so outrageous as that, you'd have to have divine power. They'd hear these stories, they'd sing these songs, they'd pray these prayers to the God who had power, a voice that could speak over the chaos of stormy seas. And that is so good for us to know. There is a God who speaks over the chaos of a stormy sea, over the out-of-control circumstances and situations, who does have the ability to stay true to his promise that there is a peace beyond understanding that is available to us, even when things seem out of control. Jesus himself promised us there will be things in your life that are out of control. In John chapter 16, he's just finished up talking to his disciples about, there are going to be people who hate you, who come after you, who don't like you. And he finishes it by saying, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. I'm giving you an expectation. You will know. Following me does not mean that the storms will go away. In some ways, following me will mean that the storms come harder. 
it will mean that the storms are more frequent. But at the end of this, in, at the end of this chapter, in John chapter 16, now in verse 33, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Literally, he says, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. He's painting this picture. I, I've got this voice that speaks over the chaos of the sea. I can do this. I can be this for you. So I have a question for you today. What's the storm that you're facing? Like, what's the out-of-control situation in your life that you are scared of? Because if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, it does not mean that the storms go away. If anything, it just means you become more aware of them. What's the storm that you're facing? I have good news for you. Jesus is the God who goes into the storm with you. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus literally goes into a storm. He was teaching. He taught, and things were getting really comfortable. Things were getting really good, right? Like his disciples were like, this is great. Jesus is becoming a celebrity. Jesus was teaching in a place where so many people started to show up that they were standing on the mountains, and Jesus actually had to get into a boat and back up off of the shore so that everybody could see him and everybody could hear him. Like things were comfortable. Things were good. The seas were calm. The sky was clear. I wonder how comfortable the disciples felt. But don't you know that sometimes it's when we feel most comfortable that the storms are at their worst? Now, I get it. Sometimes when it rains, it pours. For some of you, you are going, after, you are going through thing after thing after thing after thing. Like, I want you to know this. There are people in this room who are really hurting right now, who have been going through this for a long time. And as the body of Christ, it is our job to reach out to one another to care for one another. It's not enough just to know that people are going through stuff. It is important that you actually know what they're going through and who's going through it. Reach out to your brothers and sisters. Now, at the same time, for some of us, like I said, sometimes when it rains, it pours. But then, sometimes the storms are really, really bad because, well, they just came out of nowhere, didn't they? It's extreme. It's sudden. Sometimes the worst part about a storm is that it shocks us. It surprises us. And the most troubling part about the storm is this confusion and this disorientation. I thought my life was going fine, and so I thought that things weren't going to go bad anymore, but boom, here they are again. And sometimes it's not even like the big, huge things that are happening. I mean, I get it. There are global things that are happening in our world that just cause us stress and anxiety. They are storms, and they bother us, right? I mean, every single day we can turn on the news, and we hear about what's happening in Ukraine, and it's terrifying. And on that note, thank you, church. You've raised over $800,000. Oh, my goodness. Praise God for that. It's incredible. And yet, that storm is out of our control. We can do what we can to, to share the love of God, right? But the storm is out of our control. I mean, we've been experiencing that with the pandemic. But we also experience it in our personal lives, too. Sometimes it's extreme. Sometimes it's just like that thing that sneaks up on you. One of my favorite all-time book titles is, If God Loves Me, Then Why Can't I Open My Locker? Sometimes the issue is, I'm just walking knee-deep through the mud. And right when I thought I was out, boom, here it comes again. I was just starting to get comfortable, and now I can't open my locker. Now my car door is locked. I want to tell you something. I was getting really comfortable over the last month. I mean, I was really, I mean, I was, I was sailing, I mean, just right on the path. I was cruising. I want you to know this. I was in the 99th percentile of March Madness brackets. <laughs> I was killing it. Don't ask me how my women's bracket went. I was out after the first round. That was terrible. 
But one of my groups that I'm in where there's a, a men's bracket, it's my family bracket, and this one really means a lot to me, you know? My wife is in this bracket, so I really get to impress her, you know, like, I know about college basketball and stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, was, I was doing really well. I got three out of the four final, final four teams right. Three out of four. You'd think, there's no way I can lose, right? I, ne I, I, like, I can't even tell you how desperately I needed Duke to win last night. <laughs> like, desperately. Like, like, really desperately needed them to lose because, because there have been these two rivals sneaking up on me. And now it's looking like it's going to be really, really hard for me to defeat them. And, and well, how am I supposed to defeat these two? <laughs> Every night I'm quoting, I'm singing to God, I'm praying, crying to God. My enemies taunt me day after day. <laughs> it's my baby niece and my 86-year-old grandma. <laughs> Last night in the group chat, my my grandma is texting, go UNC! <laughs> At one point, she changed to Duke, and then halfway through the game, she said, nope, changed my mind, still going for Duke. She lived in Kansas for a while with my grandpa, and, uh, and so if, if Kansas wins, it's, it's all over. And, and if Kansas wins, and I, I, like, I mean, come on. I, I can't cheer against them, right? And it's funny, like, everything fell apart. I'm so distraught. I'm so disappointed. And it's funny, I think part of the reason why it's so frustrating is because I just wasn't expecting it. I really thought, I've got this in the bag. Now that is a funny way of saying sometimes the hardest part about the storms that we face in our life is that we're surprised by them. They catch us off guard. And so just to name this right off the top, one of the best ways that we can deal with the hardest blows in our life is just to know that they might happen. It's not necessarily that they will happen, but that they can happen. Now, that will help us with the initial blow, and that will get us through so much, right? But I want to tell you about a God who doesn't just get you through the first blow of it, but instead, he actually gives you hope through eternity. Any storm that comes your way. If you are in a storm, I have good news for you today. Jesus goes into storms. So when you walk into it, you will run into a God who has shown up to meet you there. Jesus went into a storm. Here's the lake that he was uh, traveling on that day when he ran into a storm. This is the Sea of Galilee. Everyone say Galilee. 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 Uh, we, we know from the, the context that, that this is kind of where a lot of the scenes in the book of Mark happen. Later on, there's this really famous story where Jesus walks on water, same sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee, it was famous for its storms. Like, storms were expected to happen on the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, but it's surrounded by mountains that go up as high as 10,000 feet above sea level. And so it is just this sitting duck where the cold air from the mountains and the warm air that's rising from the sea, they meet and they just cause crazy storms. To this day, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, you'll see warning signs all over the place, I'm told, that say, beware, storms. You are not safe if you stand near the sea. But this is where Jesus went. Remember, it says that Jesus and his disciples, they went to the other side. Jesus started this journey by telling them, let's cross the other side of the lake. Now, how do you deal with those chaotic situations? How do you deal with those out-of-control moments? Now, I think that sometimes in those moments, our gut reaction, the urge that we have is, is to react, right? Like to react to something. We're so shocked. We can't believe that something bad has happened to us. So, so we react. We make a move. And oftentimes when the bad things happen to us, our reaction is to find someone or something to blame. 
We seek someone or something to blame in the reactions to the out-of-control situations. But as Christians, we have this opportunity to know. Well, my Savior who promises me salvation, my Savior who promises me peace, also promised me that difficult things would happen. And so I don't have to react. Instead, I can start in a place of remembering. My first move doesn't have to be a reaction, but my first move can be remembering. And so instead of reacting and finding someone or something to blame, instead I can remember and dare to find someone to praise or at least to pray to. See, someone who's following Jesus, as we walk with Jesus closer and closer and closer, as we become more and more aware of his spirit in our lives, we have this ability to start to resist the temptation to blame everybody for the bad things that are happening in our lives. But instead, when we do see the good things that are happening in our lives, we find the God to praise. Like, it is so easy in this world that when things go wrong, we find someone to blame. But when things go right, we, we just don't do anything, right? But the Christian says, no, I know that things can go wrong. But anything that's good does come from God. So when something goes wrong, I don't have to find someone to blame. But when something goes good, I find my God to praise. And when it falls apart, I know that this is the God who waits for me, even as I walk into the storm. And maybe I can't praise him in the storm yet, but I can pray to him. I can talk to him. I can sense his presence. I can know that he's there. And so as we close this sermon today, I just want to focus on three questions. Three questions. Because oftentimes when we're out of control and life seems out of sorts and there's chaos and the stormy seas are crashing over our souls, we're left with questions. We question everything. So what are the questions that we can ask that help us remember? Not to react, but, but to remember who God is, where God is, and what's God, what is God doing? The first question that we can ask is, is how big is my storm? Like really, ask that question. How big is my storm? And in some cases, yeah, it's true. Maybe you'll realize, okay, I guess that not being able to open up my locker is not the end of the world. But in other situations, you will come to the conclusion and realize my storm is huge. The storm that Jesus ran into that day, it, it was enormous. Here's what it says in the text when it describes the storm. But soon a fierce storm came up. High winds were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. When it says fierce storm there, the word for fierce is megale. Everyone say megale. And it literally means mega. It's, it's a huge storm. Like it's, it's really, really big. It is a big storm. Like there, there's no hiding it. This is a huge storm. And sometimes in these huge storms, we feel really disoriented. Now, if you are walking next to someone who is going through a storm right now, it's not your job to tell them how big it is. Maybe you might be able to ask them, what's the storm like for you right now? Help them recognize that. And if you're walking through the storm, be honest about it. Don't downplay it. It's okay. You can be honest about it. You don't have to lie in your prayers. God knows the truth. God, this is a mega storm. And in this out-of-control situation, I am realizing more than ever my dependence on you. Please show up for me. Please show up for me. Now, the disciples, they really want Jesus to show up for them in this moment. But to their horror, to their terrible surprise, it says, but Jesus was sleeping. He, he's sleeping. Like, come on, right? I mean, not only is that just crazy and seems borderline rude, imagine how hard it would be to sleep in a megastorm. I mean, a megastorm. You're in a boat. You're not in a nice, cozy home. You're in a boat that is rocking with the waves. How is he sleeping? 
How is this happening? What are you doing, Jesus? Something that I find so interesting about the journey of faith is that when I fall into seasons of doubt, and let me tell you this, I've fallen into plenty of seasons of doubt. If you are doubting, if you're dealing with it, it does not make you weird. It does not make you a bad Christian. It does not make you spiritually flawed. It just means you're human. You're dealing with normal things that show up all over the Bible, especially when people are in out-of-control situations. But when I'm, when I'm doubting, when I'm having a really hard time, it's typically not intellectual. I've studied the Bible. I've studied the evidence. Like Intellectually, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm with it. it it's personal. That's when I have the issues. God, why aren't you doing something? Don't you care? The disciples, they just want to know, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care? What's your, what's your biggest issue with God? I mean, if you're going to be really honest with yourself, maybe it's intellectual, but likely, I mean, just based off of my experiences with a lot of different people, it, it's typically not intellectual. It's personal. Why would you let this happen? If you are God, why would you let things get out of control? Don't you care? Go ahead. Be honest. How big is your storm? But don't forget to ask the follow-up question. Because here's a question that brings a lot of promise and truth. Ask this, how big is my God? Jesus was sleeping. How could he sleep? I mean, physically, how could he sleep? How could he be so unbothered by terror and torment, disaster looming? He's resting on the unsettled waves of the sign and symbol of chaos and destruction and death. How is he sleeping? You'd have to have some sort of audacity. You'd have to have some sort of peace. You'd have to be pretty big to have peace in that moment. How big is my God? Jesus shows just how big of a God he is. It says, then Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And, and I just, I just want to note this. When, when it says be still, like that's a very polite way of Jesus saying, shut up. I don't know who's listening to me right now. He confronts the storms. Jesus woke up. He said to the wind and waves, silence, be still. And then the wind stopped. And there was great calm. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the wind stopped. Then after a while, the waves started to settle. You know this if you spent any time on water. Even if the wind dies down, the waves will still move for a while. But it says that the wind stopped and the waves died down. It happened. Everything came to a great calm. And that word for great, it's megalay again. It's mega. It's huge. It's enormous. Now, how do you think that the disciples responded? You think about this, it's kind of comical. The disciples, when they see this huge storm, they're scared. And that says something about how huge this storm is. I mean, these trained professionals who spent their lives on the seas, these were fishermen. They're terrified. They're scared. They think that they're going to die. This mega storm, they're scared of it. But then, by the end of this passage, it says the disciples were absolutely terrified. 
absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Because imagine this. Imagine being an ancient Jewish person. When you grew up and the stories that you heard, the songs that you sang, the prayers that you prayed to the God who had power over the wind and the waves, the one who could speak peace over the chaos of the storms in our lives. You heard about these things. You knew there was a big God out there, but never did you think that he would come so close, and never did you believe that he would be in your boat. Now imagine you are one of these young Jewish men following Jesus, and you've been getting to know him, and you've been sensing his love, and you've been curious about him, but now he's standing in front of you, and he's just spoken to nature, and it's responded, and it has listened, and it has died down, and it obeys his command. I just, at the sound of his voice, it obeys his command. The voice of the Lord Echoes above the sea, the psalm says. And I wonder if the disciples are remembering that. I've met God. I've met God. How big is your storm? Your God's bigger. And he's in your boat. The disciples are scared because the only thing so powerful that they've ever seen in their lives was something like the sea and the storms. And those things didn't care about them. And now they're seeing an equal, a greater power. Can power that great care about me? Can power that great love me? Here's the third question to ask so that we can remember in the chaos and in the out-of-control situations. Where's your faith? Because now you've got the choice. Is your faith in the big storm or is your faith in the big God? All of us have faith. We can't help it. We operate as beings that trust something, someone couldn't have sat in that chair if you didn't believe that the chair was going to hold you, right? You couldn't have driven here today without believing that the car would get you here. You wouldn't eat the food on the table later in the day if you didn't believe that your family member loved you and wasn't trying to poison you, right? You have faith. You have faith in something. And either you have faith that the storm really is going to be the end of you, or you have faith that there's a God who's bigger than the storm. Who are you putting your faith in? Which one do you choose? In, in this specific passage, Jesus asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, in the Greek, it's, it's, it insinuates that this is a, um, this is a, a, a no-brainer question. Like Jesus already knows the answer. You, you do have faith. You've been following me. And it's also important to keep in mind that Jesus spoke in Aramaic and the New Testament is recorded in Greek. And so when these Greek writing authors are recording the words of Jesus, they're writing in a way so that we understand the point of the story. In the book of Luke, when they record this story, Luke says that Jesus said, and he paraphrases it this way in the Greek, he says, where is your faith? He doesn't say you don't have faith. He says, where is your faith? You have faith. So what's it in? Like, faith is, is not like this feeling, right? 
Faith is not something that just appears out of nowhere. Faith, faith is actually something that's active. Faith is something that, believe it or not, you, you do get to decide. And maybe that puts pressure on you, like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to choose to have faith? But I want to say it's also very liberating. Because I have feelings, I have anxieties, I have fears that I cannot control. And yet the Bible promises me that I don't have to have my anxieties, fears, what is it for you? You don't have to have your depression. You don't have to have your worries figured out and settled before you can choose faith. Faith does not require you to have those things figured out. Your faith can be activated no matter how out of control the feelings and the experiences are in your life. Jesus says, where is your faith? If I want to like bring it back to the illustration I had earlier today, like... I had the poncho. It was available to me. But it's like I was just keeping it at my side. And I think that if we really believe that the storm is going to be, th be the thing that takes us out, if the storm really is going to be the thing that wins out, then there's no point in putting on the poncho, right? Just hold it at your side. The storm's going to take you over anyway. But faith is active. Faith says, I, I believe there's a God who meets me in this storm. I believe that this will not be the end of me. I believe that I can use the resources and tools that God has put in my life. I believe that God is going to move in my life. I, I believe it. I know I look crazy. You're going to think I'm even crazier in a second because the truth is the storms will come in this life, but I do have faith in a God who says I will be with you and I can protect you. I have some friends who are going to bring out a couple of props for me right now, and I just want to show you that you can have faith. And the storms don't have to ruin you. And they don't have to end you. And the waves, absolutely, they will come your way. They absolutely will come your way. Come on, waves, go ahead and hit me. <laughs> Haley, you're having too much fun right now. It's like a dream come true for you. Oh, more. Okay, why not? I have a microphone. I don't want to die. Hey. All right. The waves came. They were real. They happened. But my faith was on. <laughs> and my feet are wet. <laughs> Abby, we're going to have to return all my designer clothes. I don't even know what that means, to be honest. <laughs> I bought the shirt from American Eagle in 2013. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Where's your faith? Put it on. Let it be activated. You don't, have to get, you don't have to wait for the feelings to happen. And I, again, that is just so liberating. You don't have to wait for your anxiety to go away, for your depression to go away. You can continue to work through those things with Jesus. You can continue to walk through those storms with Jesus, who has gone, actively decided to show up in those storms. You don't have to wait for those things to be sorted out to activate a faith. Where is your faith? The question that the disciples must have been asking, dare I trust a power so great, so uncontrollable, so unmanageable? I mean, my goodness, we had to wake him up. He was sleeping. You ever ask that question when you read this story? What if they didn't wake him up? I mean, imagine how much the New Testament would have changed. Jesus dies at the sea. Like, oh my goodness. 
Like, I mean, obviously, the people, like, they've got to make the right move with their faith. And maybe you're sitting here wondering, okay, so gosh, i got to get my faith really, really strong. It's got to be really, really perfect. And i got to know just the right moment to wake Jesus up. Okay, what if they didn't wake Jesus up? Is the point really for you to wake up God? Or is God trying to wake you up? I find it so interesting, and I would think intentional, that in the chapter just after this, there's a scene about waking up. Jesus has gone through the storm. He's calmed it. He's back on dry land. And there's a man named Jairus, who has a daughter who's dying. It's Jesus, you've got to come help me. You've got to come help me. And the text tells us that Jesus responded to the faith. To the faith of this man, Jesus responded. Jesus shows up to the home. It seems like he's too late. They say, she's dead. She's, she, you're, too gone. you're too late. And Jesus says, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Jesus is not being insensitive. He's not downplaying the storm. He knows that physically she is dead. But for Jesus, the ultimate sign of death in those days was the stormy sea, and in the stormy sea, he could just sleep through it. And so to actual physical death, he, he just sees this little girl sleeping through it. He sends everybody away. He just leaves it to him and this little girl lying lifeless on the bed. And he says something so special, so tender, so loving, and so shocking, so surprising, it's almost confusing and disorienting. And it raises all sorts of questions. How could a God be so sweet, so powerful yet so kind, so capable and yet so tender. The same God who rebukes the seas sits in a room one-on-one -on -one with the lifeless body of a girl. And he says something that these Greek authors, who oftentimes did their best to paraphrase what Jesus had said, in this case, they didn't want to paraphrase it. They didn't want to translate it. They just said what he literally said in the Aramaic. He said, Talitha kum. And it was a special phrase. It was a common phrase. It literally meant, little girl, wake up. It was the thing that parents would say to their children every morning. So Jesus walks into this room, he sits into the place where this girl's father would have sat. And he says the thing to her that her father would have said. But he brings her out of what only her heavenly father can bring her out of. I've heard a theologian say before that someday when we're in the full presence of God, whether that's after we die or whether that's after Jesus has returned, if we live to see it. All of the storms all of the chaos, all of the uncontrollable situations, they will seem like nothing more than a bad night in a hotel. You woke up from it. You walked out the door. Jesus said, Talitha kum, little girl, it's time to wake up. 
See, to Jesus, not just the symbol and sign of death that is the stormy sea, but actual death, it is no more frightening to Jesus than a bad night of sleep. And so just as simply as a child would wake up their daughter from sleeping, Jesus brings this girl back to life by saying, wake up. Rise. And he can do that. He can do that because he has the power to do that. It wasn't just symbolic. It wasn't just something he was practicing. It wasn't just something he was doing. He was pointing to something. The work's not done. The work is not finished. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to go way, way in depth on it. But, but today, I just want you to hear this. When the women showed up to the empty tomb, and they were terrified and scared, the angel said to them, Jesus, who was dead, he was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. And the word that's used there for risen is the exact same word that's used when Jesus woke up on the boat. To Jesus, the worst things in our life, the biggest chaos, the most uncontrollable situations, it's no more than a bad night of sleep. And to us, it could be a really bad nightmare. But God's bigger than the nightmare. Know this, the presence of a storm in your life does not influence the presence of God in your life. The storms in your life may be big, but your God, your Savior, Jesus, is always bigger than your storm. He speaks over the chaos of the seas. You don't have to tell him to wake up. He's telling us to wake up. Your faith doesn't have to be perfect. The disciples, they weren't asking Jesus to wake up and calm the storms. They were asking Jesus, wake up, grab a bucket, and try to get this water out of the boat. You'll go to Jesus with all the wrong thoughts and intentions in mind. It doesn't mean he's not going to respond to you. The quality of your faith does not determine the capability of his salvation and his grace. What kind of faith do you have to have? I don't know, just enough to take it to him, as flawed and broken as it might be. Just take it to him. Where's your faith? No matter how small or insignificant you might think that it is, where is it? Oh, church, give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus and see Listen. Open your eyes when he calls for you to wake up. He's calling us to wake up. He's calling us to live life with him. He's calling us to experience peace that surpasses all understanding with him. Not because the storms are done, but because he's in them with us.